The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And that's that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of WGBB Sports Talk, Sports Talk New York, right here on Long Island's oldest radio station, WGBB New York. Thanks for tuning in here. I'm your host, Rob Kramer. Uh, you know, just we got a lot going on today. There's um, there's so much talking about right now as we're here in uh, Christmas week right now. Uh, I can't believe we're just a couple of days away from it right now. It seems like this year really flew away. Uh, especially the sports year. I just, it, it seems like the beginning of the year with playing, um, you know, games without people in the stands, which, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed that we don't get back to that point. But, um, you know, it seems like that was so long ago. And now here we are. We've almost got another NFL season in the books, only a couple of weeks left of regular season games. Uh, the Jets and the Giants both dropped their game today. Um, both uh, falling to you know double digit losses again. We'll get into that momentarily. Uh, you know, on the the good side of things, the um, the New York Mets have named Buck Showalter their uh, manager, manager of their ball club, uh, the the most experienced manager that they've had since they hired Terry Collins about ten years ago. Uh, and if you're going to go on most experienced, uh, you know, in the history of the franchise, the only the only manager uh, for them, you know, when they hired him to have managed more games is their original manager from 1962, Hall of Famer Casey Stengel. So a lot of stuff to get in with the Mets, a lot of fun numbers like that. Uh, you know, Buck will join an uh, interesting crew of uh, five um, that have managed both the Mets and the Yankees. Um, if you remember, Buck Showalter was the manager of the Yankees in the early 90s. He even appeared on an episode of Seinfeld when George Costanza wanted to change the uniforms from polyester to cotton. That didn't work out, but uh, it, it didn't work out for Buck in the Bronx either as he was ousted before their championship days in the mid-90s. But hopefully, Buck looks to, turn, to buck that trend and turn it around in uh, the 2020s with the New York Mets. So we'll get to that in a, in a minute too. Also, uh, we'll be touching on the a uh, uh, couple of our hockey teams as the Islanders played. Uh, the the Islanders played today, dropping one to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, the Rangers just had a game canceled because of COVID constraints. They're supposed to be playing on Wednesday. That game won't be happening anymore. That was going to be at Madison Square Garden against the Montreal Canadiens, but the NHL has postponed any games where teams will have to cross the border. Uh, between now and after Christmas break, which would be uh, any time post, you know, December 27th. So we're probably not going to see that game made up until sometime in the new year. It's really going to be a crunch. The Rangers have already a couple of games to make up, one against Ottawa, one against the Islanders, one against, uh, you know, this team now, the uh, the, the Canadians. So they're going to be squeezing a lot of games into a short amount of time. Um, if you remember, too, there's going to be a... Olympic break. Now, that's what they have penciled in right now for uh, the beginning of February until about, you know, February 20th or so, right around there. 
Um, if for the, for the NHL, there's going to be a full block out of games. No NHL games will be played during that time. Uh, it's expected that NHL players will be sent to Beijing for the Olympics, uh, but they're still trying to hammer that out and get all the details down. So we'll be getting to that in a little bit, too. Also, I want to touch on the uh, the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks have been very inconsistent this year. Um, such a uh, disappointment that through the first 30 games after uh, the refreshing um, hard play and defensive style and, you know, a very New York winning type team that they had last year um, in the COVID shortened season uh, for, for, for the, the New York Knicks. You know, they, uh, they won 40, 40 plus games for the first time in years, made the playoffs. Not looking that good so far, but it doesn't mean that things can't change. Um, and, you know, before we get into all that, ladies and gentlemen, I know that's a long-winded intro, but we've, like I said, we've got a lot to get into today. Uh, you can check us out, WGBB, on uh, Twitter, at WGBB Radio. Check out WGBB Sports Talk on Twitter as well. Look us up on Facebook, give us a like on there, comment on all of our stuff, and check us out on WGBBSportsTalk.com. Um, check out all of our old shows, um, all the old interviews we've had, great stuff like what Bill Donahue just gave us in the last hour, which if, uh, you, you didn't get a chance to listen to, definitely check out in the future two great interviews from, uh, from, uh, Bill Donahue. Um, but, you know, with that said, I, I want to get into some of the football that we've seen today. We'll be talking about Buck and some of the other stuff in the second half of the show. But I want to start off with the Jets and the Giants. Um, you know, it, no matter what you want to say, I mean, okay, the Jets had a, a somewhat spirited effort, not so much for the Giants. Um, you know, they it's still a loss. It's still a loss for both teams. The Jets dropped to 3-11. and The Giants dropped to 4-10. and um, You know, with that, we'll start with the Giants, actually. The Giants... They they fall to four and ten. They now have five consecutive seasons of where they've lost double digit games or more. That means at least ten losses in five straight seasons, and that goes back to seven of the last eight. If you you know go back that far, and the only brief period of reprise that they had was uh, the eleven and five season in twenty sixteen under Ben McAdoo, but we all know how quickly things went down the drain on that one. Um, so if you've been paying it, if you haven't been paying attention, then Daniel Jones suffered a uh, neck injury a couple of years back. This issue kept him sidelined uh, for the last couple of games. He'll probably be sidelined again uh, for next week too, and there's a good chance he misses the rest of the season. But you never know. Um, you know, now we get, we get the Cowboys and the Giants, which you know there's there's been a long period of time where the Cowboys and the Giants, you could pencil that in in your calendar and say that's going to be a fun game to watch. That's going to be a competitive game, and no matter where these teams are in the standings, um, I'm going to want to be sitting on my couch or in the stands watching this game. Well, that was not the case on this Sunday afternoon. The Dallas Cowboys beat the Giants 21 to six. You know, Dallas has now won nine of the last ten games against the Giants. So this uh, this ownership of one team, which, you know, is something that really didn't exist for a lot of years, even when the Cowboys were winning their Super Bowls and the Giants were a little bit down in the post-Parcells era. It would always be competitive games, 
Um, you know, even when you had Parcells over there and F- Jim Fossil coaching here and in the Tim, uh, you know, in, in the, um, you know, Tom Coughlin era, just a very, very, uh, it, it's always been, it doesn't matter who the guys are, it doesn't matter who's wearing the jersey. There was always a fun game to watch and highly competitive. But, um, yeah, definitely not today. The only two things you saw from the Giants was uh, two field goals from Graham Gano. I mean, they started Mike Glennon, who, you know, went 13 to 24, 99 yards. If you look at that in a vacuum, yeah, it doesn't look too bad. But you throw in the fact that he threw three interceptions and just looked terrible for the most part, um, you know, you knew exactly how this game was going to go. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, former Georgia quarterback, uh, Jake Fromm replaced him, went 6 of 12, 82 yards, and he didn't turn the ball over. So fans and the Giants coaching staff and front office were very, uh, you know, positive about his outing coming out of that. So there's a good chance that this kid gets a shot to, uh, maybe start a game or two if the Giants are still going to be without Daniel Jones for an extended period of time. Um, you know, on the other side of the, with the, with the, Giants, you got to look behind the quarterback, the running back. Um, still not getting anything from from Saquon Barkley. You know, it, as explosive as that guy looked his first year or two in the league, it's uh, it's crazy. It's much like Odell Beckham, although Beckham really didn't uh, take his game level down until his post Giants career. But I mean, it's it's crazy how you know he's a completely different player after this injury right now. You see a glimpse of what he once was every once in a while, but he still does not look 100%. 15 carries, 50 yards today, had a fumble. Um, they're going to need more out of him. Former number two overall pick, a guy that, uh, you know, it's probably a good thing they didn't pick Sam Darnold in the long run. A lot of people were giving the Giants crap for it that day and that week, but, you know, I totally understood at the time the uh, tantalizing uh, draft pick that Saquon Barkley was. At the time, coming out of Penn State, he was a guy that uh, was uh, a lot of people put him on a float to the Hall of Fame, or as Mike Francesi used to say, on those roller skates, sending him right into the Hall of Fame. And uh, right now, it's just not the case. Uh, that fumble today, you know, he even got outperformed by his teammate who who had been filling in for him in his his, his injury, uh, Devonte Booker. You know, was the small bright spot. Eight carries for seventy four yards. You want to tip your cap to him. He's kept his play level up. Um, you know, the the Giants play Philly next week. Um, you know, you can say what you want about that game. doesn't really matter. The Giants are out of it now. This game really sealed it. I mean, they not only – their season has been over for a couple of weeks now. I think everybody has known that. But especially with this extra playoff team that's been added this year, there's been, you know, a little more confidence from team from, you know, fans of teams that normally wouldn't be in it this time of year, you, you're you walking a little bit more confident this late in the season, hoping, with your fingers crossed, that maybe your team can get into that final spot. That's what the Giant fans were doing. Um, hey, if the Jets had that, I'd be doing the same thing as a Jet fan. But uh, it just didn't work out. Uh, the Giants um, not making the playoffs this year, definitely not winning the division. Um, really just a shame. Uh, now, Joe Judge has officially coached 30 games as Giants head coach, and he's lost 20 of them, 10 and 20. That's, uh, you know, record speaks for itself. You are what your record says you are. 
Um, and, uh, you know, there's nothing else you could say about that. Uh, there's a very good chance that we're watching the end of the Dave Gettleman era. Um, there's a very good chance we're even watching the end of the Joe Judge era, a guy that's that just arrived on the scene last year. Um, it It wouldn't surprise me, though, if Mara canned Gettleman and had his next GM keep Joe Judge. Uh, that would not surprise me at all. But you know what? We've seen that before when uh, Woody Johnson ousted um, their former GM, bringing in John Idzik. After that, they they got rid of Mike Tannenbaum, who had presided over you know, the franchise dating back to the Mangini days. Um, and uh, he was a guy that had a lot of pull up top. Well, they got rid of him. They brought in John Idzik. And, boy, that was an epic, epic failure. <laughs> Epic failure. I mean, the word epic isn't even big enough how bad that John Idzik hire was for the Jets. And, you know, Dave Gettleman, he's accumulated some talent, but boy, he set out to build an offensive line a couple years ago, and that offensive line is as big of a dumpster fire today as it was three or four years ago. Whenever, you know, Will Hernandez looks like a swing and a miss, um, you know, there's no cohesion on that. They can't get anything. You know, that that could be a big reason why you're not getting anything out of Saquon. I mean, you know, he doesn't have, maybe he doesn't have that ability to make guys miss. Maybe he needs those holes opened up for him more now than ever. You know, maybe he's, you know, this guy just, he needs help from the players around him. And the fact is, right now, he ain't getting it. So, um, you know, we could be seeing the end of two giant errors right now. I do think... And I've been defending, I've been a guy who in the past has defended Dave Gettleman from angry Giant fans. And uh, I don't blame Giant fans for being angry. Uh, I just think they're being slightly impatient. But you know what? Maybe their impatience was uh, proven to be true. Because I, I think Dave Gettleman is going to be shown the door after this season, whether they keep Joe Judge or not. But that's going to be a decision made up by John Mara and uh, the guys running the show over there at the Giants who, by the way, if you were lucky enough to spend $20,000 on your personal season ticket license for uh, MetLife Stadium to be a Giants fan, they were, and you've had to sit here and pay that $20,000 for at least the last five straight years since this team has been in the trash can seven of the last eight years with double-digit losses, like I mentioned before. Well, guess what their olive branch was to you today? Their olive branch was to give you a free medium Pepsi. That's right. A free medium Pepsi. I don't know if that comes with ice or not. They might be pushing it. And don't you dare ask for a large. Because if you ask for a large, well, they'll probably just charge you an extra five grand for your PSL. So uh, keep that in mind, Giant fans, as, they, uh, as the Giants obviously uh, don't care about what a bad PR hit looks like because they've been taking it on the chin all week for that one. Um, and with that, we'll go to uh, the somehow more PR-friendly Jets. I, I don't understand how it's even possible, but uh, at, at least for today, it is. The Jets put up a much better fight than the uh, the Giants did today. The Jets ended up losing down in Miami, 31-24. There were no free Pepsis given out at that game. Uh, they ended up losing... Uh, 31-24 after they had a 17-7 lead early in that game. A real early 10-0 lead. It could have even been 14-0, but the drive stalled out um, in the red zone. 
Now for the Jets, you know, just like we mentioned a moment ago, the Giants uh, struggling against the division opponent in the uh, Cowboys. Same thing with the Jets against Miami. This is now their fifth straight loss to uh, Miami, dating back to when Adam Gase was the head coach of the Dolphins, not even the Jets. Um, so the uh, the fifth straight loss there. Jets fall to three and eleven, blew the big ten point lead early on. Uh, Zach Wilson, you know, what can you say about Zach Wilson? Thirteen to twenty three today, one hundred and seventy four yards. Did not turn the ball over. He was sacked six times though, so he wasn't helped by his offensive line today. Much like uh, Daniel Jones and the Giants, uh, you know, obviously Daniel Jones didn't play today, but you know what I mean. That just not protecting your quarterback and letting him get hit like that. The Jets are lucky he didn't get hurt today with all those sacks. Um, you know. When you look at it, uh, from this point of view, it's it's not a bad game because Zach Wilson did not turn the ball over today. So while he didn't wow you and while you weren't blown away by what Zach Wilson did, uh, they, they, you know, he, he didn't turn the ball over. He protected the ball, and especially when they had that lead and everything, he went into play with a lead mode where... He wasn't taking any stupid chances. Uh, maybe he should have. Maybe that was a bad call by Lafleur and the uh, the offense and, and the coaching staff. But you know what? They didn't take any chances. They tried to uh, you know milk it a little bit, and it ended up blowing back on them because once they flipped that switch down, they couldn't flip it back on. And once it got to the second half, they just were not able to get their act back together, um, and they ended up you know it was seventeen seventeen at halftime. They uh, just could do nothing in the second half. Um, Zach Wilson, very disappointing in that second half. But you know what, though? Uh, my biggest criticism, though, won't go on the offense because the offense did produce. The offense, um, you know, they put up 24 points. Well, you know, it's not exactly Tom Brady and the Buccaneers or it's not going to remind you of uh, Peyton Manning in his heyday with the uh, Indianapolis Colts. What it... It will do is uh, for a good team. A good team can win with a game like this from its quarterback and its offense at least producing. Well, the offense technically produced 17 points. The defense in uh, Brandon Eccles returned an interception um, from Tua Tagovailoa, a former Alabama quarterback, now the starter of the Miami Dolphins. Um, he returned an interception for a touchdown that tied the game at 24. But they, then Miami would just get the ball right back punch it down the field to take that 31-24 lead that they would never relinquish. But as I was getting to that, the biggest criticism of the day I would have is on the defense, but more specifically, the run defense. Because the pass defense did their job. The pass defense, you know, looked very solid at times. You know, tight coverage. They're forcing turnovers today. You had the Ashton Davis interception. You had the uh, Eccles interception return for a touchdown. So you really have to give it to a very young defensive backcourt for uh, playing a hell of a game today. Um, the run defense is what failed the Jets today. Uh, the run defense, uh, you know, allowed Duke Johnson and Miles Gaston, more specifically Duke Johnson. Miles Gaston kind of came on at the end, had a couple of big runs when the defense was a little beat up already. But the guy that just ran it all day right down their throats was Duke Johnson, former Cleveland Browns running back, um, and... The run defense just could not make a big stop when they needed it. And that was the difference in the game. Um, the the run defense uh, allowed the Dolphins' offense to dictate the, the pace 
and dictate, uh, you know, how often they would convert these third downs and how, how they could keep drives going. And uh, there's nothing the Jets' defense could do about it. They just let them walk all over them. And unfortunately, it led to this collapse and uh, eventually losing the game to uh, the Dolphins down there in Miami. Um, you know, a couple of bright spots was Michael Carter. He had a couple of nice runs, but overall, eight carries, 18 yards. Not going to really knock your, your socks off. Um, not a very good day overall. But, you know, you keep seeing bright spots out of that kid. I hope they keep plugging him away. I I want to see him, especially with the season being down the drain now, I want to see him be given the opportunity that he's earned through this year. Because with a shaky offensive line and shaky different quarterbacks at times and different protection and everything like that, the kid's had a pretty good rookie season, so he should be rewarded for that. Um, you know, this was another winnable game for the Jets that they just blew. And, um, you know, one thing I will say is that as disappointing as this first year under Robert Sala has been, there has been a lot more um, being in games and having a chance and, and you know, not outright rooting for a draft pick in October. You know what I mean? Um, with with Gase and even the last year or two under Bowles, by the time late, you know, by the time Halloween came around, the season was over. And while the season was kind of over by Halloween this year, they were still winning games and fighting and beating teams that were better than them and competing with teams at times. And I know they got trashed by the Patriots a couple of times. I know they've had their bad moments. They lost that game in London to the Falcons earlier this year. They should have won in, uh, you know, uh, th- there have been a lot of potentially good moments that blew up in the Jets' face this year. But you know what? It's better than the last couple of years where there hasn't even been those moments where you'd say to yourself, oh, hey, maybe they have a chance to win this game. Because the last couple of years, in the middle of you saying that sentence, they would blow the game. <laughs> it wouldn't even You wouldn't even have a chance to get it out. By the time you say, oh, maybe they have a, it'd be over. They'd be, the, the game would be done. And they'd be down by three or four touchdowns and it's the first quarter still, and you're saying to yourself, why am I putting my girlfriend through watching this game? Because that's a situation that happened to me a lot last year. Um, you know, uh, now the Jets uh, on the docket coming up have uh, an, an, another another very bad team, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who just replaced Urban Meyer as their head coach. Uh, if you don't know, Urban Meyer is... Uh, he was a first-time NFL coach this year. He's a former college coach. Broke the college ranks this year. Joined the NFL to be with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He joined his um, his star quarterback from college, too. Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback for Urban Meyer um, in college, and they both went to the same NFL team at the same time. The, uh, the Jets handed... Trevor Lawrence to them on a silver platter last year when the Jets beat the, the L.A. Rams late in the season. Uh, that, that that second win cost the Jets this kid, Trevor Lawrence, who has not had a very good season, although he has looked better than um, Zach Wilson. And I, I will say that. Um, but you know what? Um, I think this is another winnable game for the Jets. Now the question is, do you want to root for a win or do you want to root for a loss? Because if the Jets lose to the Jaguars this coming up week, then it would really help them in their draft pick hunt. 
you know, if you want to score the highest draft pick possible for the 2022 NFL draft, which is supposed to take place in April of next year. And the Jets already have their own pick, which is going to be high, because their 3-11 and record is one of the worst in football. So they're going to have a, a, a high pick. You know, probably only the Lions and the Jaguars are really in their way for that number one slot. Um, and then they also have the Seattle Seahawks pick, which uh, is going to be another top, top 10 pick, most likely. And if it's not top 10, it'll at least be top 15. And, you know, the, the Giants are in the same boat. The Giants have... Uh, you know, their own pick, and they had the Chicago Bears pick. So there's a possibility that four of the top ten NFL draft picks could be coming to New York next year. So we could see better football on the horizon. Um, that's something to keep in mind. You know, the Jets, after the Jaguars next week, it's uh, going to be a wash. Two really, really tough games. They play uh, Tampa Bay at MetLife, which is going to be interesting to see Tom Brady playing against the Jets for the first time outside of a Patriots uniform. And then the week after that, the the season finale, the game which will set the record for the most regular season games the Jets have ever played, along with every other team in the NFL this year, as the NFL added the uh, 17th game in the 18th week this year, uh, will be the season finale in Buffalo. So we saw how how the last game against Buffalo at MetLife Stadium went, while well, Buffalo just danced all over the Jets. Uh, you know, you got to just keep your fingers crossed and hope they keep it competitive up there in Buffalo. But it's going to be Buffalo in January. So it's a chance we see a pretty snowy game, and anything can happen in games like that. So uh, that should be a lot of fun if you see that on the horizon. Um, you know, and uh, with that, uh, we covered a lot of ground here in the first half, talking this football. Uh, in the second half, I'll be getting into a little baseball as we have the lockout Coming up, uh, the MLB lockout went into an effect on December 1st of this year. So we are nearly three weeks into this lockout. But the Mets just hired their manager today. So we'll get into that. We'll get into the Knicks, Little Islanders, Rangers, all that and more. Stick around. Thanks for sticking with me here on this Sunday night. And I'll catch you again in a minute. This. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Sports Talk 1240. Uh, Sports Talk New York, I'm sorry. As uh, we here on WGBB, Sports Talk New York... I like to do a little something called This Day in Sports History. This Day in Sports History on 
December 19, 1983, the original FIFA World Cup trophy, also known as the Jules Rimet Trophy, is stolen from the headquarters of Brazilian Football Confederation in Rio de Janeiro. They're still looking for it as the original has never been returned. On this day, uh, December 19, 1984, Wayne Gretzky, at the age of 23, becomes the 18th and youngest member of the NHL 1,000-point club as he eclipsed the mark with a six-point game in a 7-3 win over the L.A. Kings. On this date, December 19, 1985, ABC announced that it was severing ties with longtime announcer Howard Cosell. One of the all-time great announcers, he'd go on to announce until 1991 before officially retiring. On, th on this day in 1986, the Parachute Man, uh, the Parachute Man from the 1986 World Series, he was uh, ordered to pay a $500 fine and do 100 hours of community service after he parachuted into Shea Stadium during uh, Game 1 of the 1986 World Series um, and between the New York Mets and the Boston Red Sox. And finally, on this day in uh, 2003, December 19th, 2003, the Steve Bartman Ball. That's right, the game from the ball from Game Six of the 2003 NLCS between the uh, Chicago Cubs and the Florida Marlins, which went into the stands and outfielder Moises Alou could not get to because of the actions of a fan in the stands that wasn't paying attention to the game. He was going for a foul ball. He knocked the ball out of the mitt. And uh, the next thing you know, the Marlins would go on to score a bunch of runs, come from behind, and beat the Chicago Cubs. Well, on this day in 2003, that ball was purchased by Cubs fans for $106,000 and promptly exploded in a restaurant behind Wrigley Field. Now, this was also 13 years before they were able to break their uh, their curse um, and win their first World Series since 1908. So that was a desperate fan base doing desperate things on this day in sports history. So once again, thanks for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. As uh, I'm your host, Rob Kramer. You can check me out on Twitter, at Kramer New York. You can uh, check out uh, WGBB on, uh, on Twitter as well, WGBB Radio. And uh, give us a like on Facebook as well, WGBB. So... Um, you know, in the first half of the show, we talked a lot about the uh, the bad decisions and the mistakes and the just absolutely, uh, you know, absolute incompetence at times of the two football teams in New York, the Jets and the Giants, as we've seen nothing but disaster from those two franchises for the, really most of the last decade, really since the Giants won the Super Bowl about 10 years ago against the Patriots for the second time in five years at that point. But since then, it's been nothing but downhill. Um, you know, we've seen the, the Yankees make good decisions over the last ten years, make bad decisions, um, you know, get rid of Joe Girardi, bring in Aaron Boone, um, you know, get rid of A-Rod, you know, sign Carlos Beltran, uh, get rid of Masahiro Tanaka. There have been a lot of things the Yankees have done, but the Yankees have remained, um, you know, a pretty productive team throughout the decade you know you, you can sit here and make the argument should the Yankees have won a World Series yeah I mean you can say that they probably should have at least been to one 
Um, but you know, they kept getting knocked out by the Astros and the uh, Red Sox, and they just had, they ran into a couple of really talented teams over there. And also, you know, you know, those teams they played weren't exactly playing on a level field. I don't know how much of a level field the Yankees are playing on either. So, uh, you know, it seems to be all a wash over there. But either way, no matter what you want to say, the Yankees have been very good and productive over their time uh, for the last couple of years. Now, on the other side of town, the Mets, 10 years ago, they named Terry Collins their manager. He became their manager uh, for the 2011 season. It was his first year here. He lasted through all the way through 2017, and ended up managing the most games in Met history and getting them to a World Series in 2015, which a lot of people did not think Terry Collins was going to do. Um, a, a lot of people, myself included, thought the Mets would have to hire another manager after Terry Collins to take them to that next level. But, you know, TC, Terry Collins, proved out to be the man for the job. And um, you know what? He's a guy, he's a good baseball man, good baseball instincts, um, you know, just has been in the game forever and knows every situation. He's not going to screw up on, you know, pull a Mickey Callaway and screw up your uh, your lineup card and get guys out. That's that's Bush League kind of stuff. And that's not the kind of stuff you're going to see from Terry Collins. Uh, and he gave the Mets a new kind of legitimacy. I mean, a lot of people would laugh at that at the time, saying, how did Terry Collins give the Mets legitimacy? And you know what? It was just because... It was a guy, it was a no-nonsense guy who was going to come in and do his best to have these guys playing on nothing more than merit. And that's what uh, you know we got out of Terry Collins. You knew they were going to be a hard team to play against, and even though they were going to go through their bad stretches, which they did, they were never going to um, you know, beat themselves before they walked out on the field. And Terry Collins always made sure of that, and that's why he was the perfect guy to take them to the World Series in 2015. But since then, they made the playoffs in 2016. They lost that playoff game, um, the one-game playoff, the wild-card game, to the San Francisco Giants and Madison Bumgarner, who would just dominate the Mets that day and knock them out of the playoffs. And then it began. 2017 came, and that was an injury-ravaged, terrible season, one of the worst years of Met baseball I can remember. Um, then 2018 was just another, you know, they hired Mickey Calloway. Um, it seemed like it was a decent decision at the time. Obviously, he turned out to be not only the wrong guy for the job, but just a bad guy in general. Um, you know, their vetting process has th been thrown into question. Then after that whole, you know, Terry Coll uh, you know, they, they let Terry go. They do this whole thing with, with Mickey Calloway where, you know, a lot of people weren't even sure they were making the right decision after 2019, letting Mickey go, because that was a team that still finished 10 games over 500. That was a Mets team that hadn't finished over 500 since the 2016 Wild Card game, so it had been at least three years since they've even sniffed being 500, and they were under 500 in July, and Mickey really was the um, captain of the ship when this team went on that second half tear. So coming into 2020, a lot of people thought the Mets had already made a decision in letting Mickey go. Now, obviously the stuff he did behind the scenes didn't come to light till after that, and everybody kind of saw Mickey Callaway in a different way. But, um, you know, it was even questioned at the time letting that guy go. 
And he was not a great manager anyway. Like I said, he had his very bad moments, very questionable in-game manager. Um, th- then they went out after letting him go, and they bring in Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran, probably the best free agent acquisition to perform on the field for the Mets they've ever did. They signed him in 2005 to a seven-year, $119 million contract. He played very well for them over that time, had a couple of injuries later, got traded to the San Francisco Giants, netted them Zach Wheeler, who was great for them for years, and also one of the biggest mistakes the stiff Wilpons did before they went out was letting Zach Wheeler sign the Philadelphia Phillies. That That's going to be a black mark in this organization for the entire length of his five-year deal in Philly. Um, thanks for nothing, Jeff Wilpon. Um, but, you know, now the uh, things are starting to turn around a little bit. You know, they they had to let Beltran go at that moment because the, all the stuff came to light with the cheating in Houston and everything. So Beltran was let go. They brought in Luis Rojas, who, you know what? Rojas was put in a, a really tough situation. I like Luis Rojas a lot. Obviously, people still do. He ended up getting hired by the Yankees to be their third base coach this year now for uh, for Aaron Boone. Um, I would have loved to keep Luis in the, in, in the organization. But you know what? Luis Rojas was not a major league manager. He's much more equipped to be a growing manager in the minor leagues, in my opinion at least, where he helps guys grow down there. Um, you know, being a, I mean, or he could even be a manager at the major leagues, just not in New York. Because New York is going to chew you up and spit you out. You know, you have to sit here, and he gave these nonsensical rationalizations for some of his moves sometimes. And believe me, I'm not putting it all on Luis, because I know the front office was making some calls, too. So it's not all on Luis Rojas. But hey, he's the guy I had to take the fall for it. Um, he did not do a great job. Once again, same thing as, as Mickey Calloway, weak in-game manager. Now... Now that I got all that out of the way, the history lesson and everything else beyond that, the Mets hired Buck Showalter as their manager. Um, great job for the Mets. Gave him a three-year deal north of $10 million for the, the longevity of it. Um, biggest in team history for a manager, beating, get this, Art Howe. <laughs> now, if you're a Mets fan and you're thinking to yourself, how the hell is Art Howe the highest manager in team history? Well, he, he surprisingly was. That's why the Mets have classically, for the last 15 years, lowballed their managers. Um, we wouldn't have been getting Buck if the Wilpons were still the manager. You could guarantee that. But you got to tip your cap to Steve Cohen. He knew his man. He, he, he interviewed Buck. He interviewed Joe Espada. And he interviewed Matt Cataro. Those were the final three guys. The Rays bench coach, the Astros bench coach, and an analyst at, at MLB Network, who had 20 years of managerial experience under his belt, Buck Showalter. Buck gets the job. Uh, a two-pronged interview where he did a, a pre-Zoom interview with the front office and guys, just a get-to-know-you type session, Billy Epler and uh, you know Sandy Alderson and all these other guys. Then, after they progressed past that first interview, it went to the second interview where he was uh, then brought to Steve Cohen's residence uh, I believe uh, I believe that's here on Long Island. I'm not exactly sure where Steve Cohen lives, but uh, he was brought to his residence, and um, you know they they had the second interview. Supposedly this was on Friday evening, after the markets closed because of Steve Cohen's day job, and 
it, it went great. They said that Buck checked every box for the Mets. Um, you know, he, he's just, uh, one of these type of guys that, uh, you know, he's the smartest guy in the room. That's what Mark Teixeira said. Uh, Mark Teixeira, former Yankee world champion first baseman, uh, played under Buck Showalter when he was with the Texas Rangers and sung his praises saying that Buck is, quote, the smartest man in baseball. I've also heard former All-Star and, uh, you know, center fielder Adam Jones from the Baltimore Orioles saying nothing but great things about Buck. Um, you know, there's a level of respect that comes with being with Buck Showalter. And um, that's, you know, that's what he is. Apparently he's going to be um, introduced to, to New York and the media and everything on Tuesday. They were going to try to do it on Monday, but I think they're going to hold off until Tuesday now. That's at least what Mike Puma of the Pro, uh, of the New York Post has been reporting, that they're aiming for like a Tuesday. Uh, it, it's possible they still could come out and say that it's going to be tomorrow, but I'm thinking it's going to be Tuesday. Um, you know, and if you want to look at, at Buck's resume, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to go over. The guy has 20 years of experience, like I said. And if you're going to look at it, it starts with managing the Yankees in the minor leagues in the 80s. Then he was Stump Merrill's third base coach for the Yankees uh, for a couple of years. Then when Stump Merrill was dismissed as the Yankee manager after the uh, after the 1991 season, then he was uh, he, he was made the, the full-time manager from, um, you know, Gene Michael and George Steinbrenner gave him that title from 1992 to 1995. During that time, you got to remember, this was not the Yankees that we remember. This was a Yankee team that was coming off multiple losing seasons. They lost 90-plus games. Buck was really helping uh, change the culture and build these Yankees from the bottom up. This Yankees team, too, by the way, was nowhere near as talented as the, the Mets team he's joining today. He was building this team up from the bottom. And, you know, during his time there, he was 313 and 268 with the Yankees, uh, 539 winning percentage. He was the, the, you know, he was the 1994 AL manager of the year for the Yankees when they ended up fi- finishing that season 73 and 49 before the, uh, the, um, the strike ended that season and canceled the World Series, you know, everybody was really saying that uh, it was really just a race and a countdown to having a Yankees Expos World Series, as those were the two best teams in baseball at the time. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see that. Um, but, you know, when, when you look at what Buck accomplished, though, he got the Yankees back to the playoffs next year uh, in, in, you know, the shortened season. They were 79-65, won the wild card, finished second in the East, um, and played the Seattle Mariners in the first round. They lost in five, but that was the first time the Yankees had made the playoffs since 1981. That was the year before Don Mattingly got there. So, you know, that was a long time ago that uh, that Yankee team made the playoffs. You know, that's the days of Reggie Jackson and um, Sparky Lyle and (laughs) Willie Randolph and... It was a, it, it had been a long time since the Yankees had made the playoffs. And uh, after that 81 World Series loss to the Dodgers and Fernando Valenzuela, 
the next one was 1995 when they lost in that five-game epic series to the Seattle Mariners where, that ended with the Edgar Martinez double in the corner and King Griffey Jr. scoring all the way from first base. Really, if you, if you haven't seen that game, watch that game because it's, it's a hell of a ride. It's a lot of fun to see the excitement in that game, especially from that, that, that Seattle crowd, which that was the first time the Mariners had ever made the playoffs. So a lot of emotion on both sides for both fan bases and both teams. Um, that was the last play of Buck Showalter's managerial career with the Yankees. The next time that you'd see him was with the Diamondbacks when he got picked up to really shape that team. Uh, he had a lot of input in uh, the original ballpark there. It's called Chase Field now. It was called Bank One Ballpark at the time. The, the little walkway between the pitcher's mound and the catcher, that was Buck Showalter. Um, a lot of the things about that stadium had Buck's touch on it. Um, a lot of things about the franchise and the players they picked and the, the way they went about their business and built it from the ground up. Once again, that's Buck. He's a builder. He's going to show people the way to do the right things. And Buck built that team up. They ended up winning 100 games. They, they had a bad year their first year. It was an expansion team. Makes sense. They went out the offseason. They signed Randy Johnson. Buck wins 100 games the next year. The fastest team in Major League history, the ex- for an expansion team, they made their playoffs in the second year. Now, they ended up losing to the Mets in that first round. Thank God. I would have been devastated as a 12-year-old if the Mets had lost that series. But, um, you know, they were the 1991 NL West champs. Uh, he was 250 and 236 there. Um, he was there from 98 to 2000. Now, what a lot of people forget Everybody, you know, the Diamondbacks went on to win the World Series in 2001, the year after Buck left. Same thing with the um, with the Yankees. The Yankees went on to win the World Series in 96, the year after Buck left. And, um, you know, what a lot of people don't give him credit for is that Buck was one of the guys really pushing for the Diamondbacks to trade for an injured Kurt Schilling the year before that. So they acquired him from the Phillies for Omar Dahl and Nelson Figueroa and a host of other players. And they brought him into Arizona, and that laid the groundwork for the 2001 World Series champions. After that, he had a much less uh, fun career with the uh, um, Texas Rangers from 03 to 06. He went 319 and 329, 10 games over 500, missed the playoffs all, all his years there. 0-3, missed playoffs every year, but won 89 games in 2004 for that team, the year after they traded A-Rod, and won the uh, 2004 Manager of the Year as well. So if you're seeing a trend, he won the 94 with the Yankees Manager of the Year, the 2004 Manager of the Year with the Rangers. Um, and that would come back also in 2014 when he'd win it with the Orioles. This is three-time Manager of the Year, three different teams. Uh, just shows how great of a manager this guy is. He's got over 1,500 wins. Um, he just came off a nine-year stretch with the Orioles, where he went 669 and 684. 2014 AL East champs went to the ALCS for the first time in his career. They got swept that year by the Royals, but still had a hell of a run. Um, you know, like I said, three-time Manager of the Year. This guy's resume speaks for itself, and he's joining the Mets at the perfect possible time. Um, 
you know, he's one one thing he's going to have to come over is that um, one of his last big decisions that blew up in his face was the 2016 wild card game when he was managing for the Baltimore Orioles. Buck went out there and uh, did not bring in Zach Britton. Now, if you don't know who Zach Britton is, he's a current Yankee, lefty lefty reliever, by no means a left-handed specialist. This guy could get lefties and righties out. He was the closer, all-star closer, for the Orioles that year. Had a, a record-breaking season, one of the best seasons that a major league reliever has ever had in history. He had a 0.54 ERA. Now, if you don't know what that means, I can't even express to you how ridiculous that is. I mean, if you look at Everybody went crazy about Aaron Loop this year for the Mets, who had a fantastic year. And his ERA was 0.97. Still amazing. Under 1. If you have an ERA of 1, you're you're having a great year. But if it's under 1, you're just out of control. And to have an ERA a half run better than that at 0.54, mind-blowing. Just absolutely mind-blowing. So... He took a lot of flack because they played the wild card game against the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto that went into extra innings at 2-2. It went to the 11th inning, and the entire time, he left Zach Britton sitting on the bench. Now, if you look at it from his point of view, he was saving his golden bullet for as the away team if his team took the lead that he'd send Zach Britton right in to close the game out and send them to the next round if they t- if they ever took the lead. The problem is they never took the lead, and you never took the chance of putting him in the game. So with that, you had your best reliever, potentially that season at least, your best player didn't even appear in an all-or-nothing winner-take-all game. So that's something that he's going to have to overcome um, supposedly, even actually in uh, in spring training 2017 for the Astros, he apologized to Britain and the entire team for his mistake, saying that he holds everybody else accountable for his mistakes, so he's going to hold himself accountable for his mistake. So I give Buck a lot of credit for that. Um, you know, uh, veteran managers, we saw two of them in the, uh, in, in the World Series this year, in Snicker for the Braves and Dusty Baker for the um, the Houston Astros. So don't think just because you have an older coach that there's uh, or an older manager that there's no way that you can have a, a, a good season or a season that you expect to have. Um, so I, I, I want to tip my cap to Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson and Billy Epler and anybody else. I just want to say, you know, Thankfully, the Mets finally have people that don't throw up roadblocks to get good people in here. They're not worried about having another smart guy in the room because they want to be considered the smartest guy in the room, um, especially when they're not. So that's why you have to give, you know, bring in a guy like Buck Showalter. He's going to challenge, you know, he's going to challenge Billy Epler. He's going to challenge Sandy Alderson and, if if needed at times, Steve Cohen. Um, you know, they might tell him, oh, we, we want you to do X, Y, and Z. And Buck Showalter is going to sit there and he might say, okay, you want me to do X, Y, and Z. Tell me why. Give me a reason. Give me a reason why that you're t- 
taking this decision out of my hands, which happens in a lot of Major League clubhouses today. So Buck, Buck Showalter is not going to sit here and uh, and take anything lying down. Um, the Mets have uh, their own man right now. They have a guy that um, that is you're just a great baseball guy, a guy that it looks at the game from a lot of different ways. I think it it even helped him now that he was on MLB Network for a year or two and saw the game from yet another angle. So this guy's been an executive. This guy's been a manager at the major and minor league levels. He's been a player. He's been a commentator. He's been a guy that you, you can... Buck Walter has seen the game from so many different angles. I can't wait to see what he shows the, the Mets. You know, even Manny Machado, who's a guy that a lot of people would not think uh, would take kindly to a guy, you know, a hard-nosed manager and everything like that. Manny Machado said that he would not be the player he is today without Buck Walter. And Manny Machado is one of the better players in baseball. So you got to say that, especially these young players and everything, Buck Walter is going to come in and show these guys how to play the right way. And uh, from what we've seen for the Mets the last couple of years, that's exactly what they need. Um, and, uh, you know, just to... To finish up real quick, as uh, we've already touched on a lot today, um, you know, I, I just want to finish up with the Knicks. Um, you know, it's been such a uh, such a disappointment to see what we've gotten out of the Knicks this year. Um, they lost against Boston last night again. We saw Kemba Walker back, bless you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they lost... Um, Eight of their last ten games, um, they've uh, dropped their record to thirteen and seventeen. You know, in their first thirty games this year, they are not looking anything like the hard-nosed, defensive-minded team that we we got to know and love last year. Um, you know, it was good to see Kemba get plugged back in the lineup last night, coming up for twenty-nine against his former team. I know he must have had some extra motivation going on there because he couldn't have liked getting traded. Um, by uh, by the uh, Celtics after signing with them. Uh, Evan Fournier, too, great game. His second 32-point game against his former team last night. Um, you know, the, the Knicks really have to get a fire lit under their butts by Tom Thibodeau. Um, I know I don't have much time to talk about it. Just about done here, ladies and gentlemen, as we're down to our just over final minute. But, um, you know, the Knicks have a, a big week coming up. Tuesday against Detroit. Thursday against the Wizard, Saturday Christmas Day against Atlanta. You gotta go three and zero if uh, you want to um, really start talking about the playoffs again and and getting back in good shape for playoff contention. But uh, you know we're gonna have to get back to that next time, ladies and gentlemen. As I am out of time here. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in here to Sports Talk New York with me, your host Rob Kramer. Um, you can tune in next week, uh, and we'll have another great show for here uh, on WGBB from 8 to 10. I'll be back with you again in the new year. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, have a great new, uh, holiday season and a happy new year, and I'll see you next time. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.